welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. Get paid for your pad. 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 I've begun using a really cool service from Aviva IQ, and it's made my life so much easier. My guests love receiving all the important details about their stay exactly when they need it. And I love all the five-star reviews I'm getting on communication. Check them out at www.avivaiq.com. Welcome, everyone. Another news episode of Airbnb. And today I'm co-hosting with Nicole Prentice-Williams, who is the Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at Hostfully. So, Nicole, welcome, and how are you doing? I'm great. How are you, Jasper? I'm very well. I am in Santiago in Chile. I just spent two weeks in Florinopolis, one of my favorite places in the world, in the south of Brazil. But now I'm back in Santiago and looking at some properties to invest in. Fantastic. I am right up the coast from you in Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just a few thousand and, uh, miles north. Yeah, exactly. I'm happy to be here with you this morning. Thanks how, for having me. How are things going at Hostly? I, I hear things are going pretty well, huh? Yeah, we're getting ready for a big vacation rental management conference that's going on in Georgia next week. And we have another one coming up here in California about five weeks later. So yeah, we're growing and it's going really well. Awesome. That's great to hear. I'm getting a lot of positive feedback from the community that people really love the guidebooks and the fact that they don't have to pay for it. So, uh, (laughs) 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 But if you do pay for it, you get it in four languages, which is incredible. That's pretty sweet. Portuguese, French, Spanish, English. Yeah. So what about what, what about Dutch? Maybe soon. I'll talk to Noah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, let's get into the news for this week. I think the biggest headline that came out was about the IPO. We've talked about it a few times in recent weeks, but this was the first time that Brian Chexy actually gave somewhat of a timeline. He basically said that he thought the process of getting ready for an IPO takes about two years. And then he said that they're probably about halfway through that project. And that would imply that they have about one year to go until they are ready to go public. Yeah, he has alluded to that. Um, He won't give a date. He won't put it in black and white there. So he's not held to it quite yet. But it sounds like it's all headed in the right direction. And I guess the speculation is just when. And it's interesting to to think about like what what's the reason that they they want to do this IPO because they have so much money they have like three billion dollars in cash, and he mentioned this in the interview actually because he said the main reason for them to go public would be to provide their shareholders with more liquidity or right. more instant right. liquidity, which makes a lot of sense. Of course, I mean, imagine you've invested 
in Airbnb. I know Sequoia Capital invested six hundred thousand dollars back in two thousand nine or two thousand eight, and I think they were the first like sort of major investment that they received. I mean, that's worth. I mean, how much would that be worth right now? I mean, I don't yeah, know, but that, wow. that's probably worth like billions, you know. And so yeah. it'd be very convenient for them to probably offload offload some of their shares. Yeah. And he says that everybody's been patient. The investors have been patient. You know, it's been a while. When did they invest that money? Do I think it was when? 2009, I believe. Yeah. So it would be great for them, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because then they could, you know, they could use that money to reinvest in uh, in other startups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess they're positioning themselves by kind of, we read unloading some properties and then looking at some other kind of diversifying their services as well. Right. Because, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I posted this news article in a group that I have on Facebook, Airbnb News, and somebody commented on it. It's actually somebody I know, a host from San Francisco. His name is Keith. And he immediately said, not going to happen. And so... I was interested to see why he thought that. And he made some good points. He says that obviously the investors are eager, but he says that the stock market right now wouldn't be so interested because there's a lot of legal uncertainty. You know, there's a lot of lawsuits going on in Airbnb land. There's a lot of regulation. A lot of cities are putting in regulations. Like we will mention later in this episode, we'll talk about San Diego. Basically, what they need to do is they need to diversify from the accommodations business and show that they can make money in other businesses, like the trips and the experiences, for example. Because if they're only dependent on the homes and there's a lot of illegal uncertainty there, you know, that might not get like a very attractive IPO price. Right. Well, they're also looking at long-term rentals, I read as well. Um, and they have connected with a research firm in San Francisco to to look at that. So they wouldn't hit as many roadblocks if they were offering long-term rental options as well. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. They have a website. Part of their website is actually for uh, sublets. Um, mm. But I don't think very many people use it. And I didn't even know it existed, honestly. But yeah, it's very, and it's been around for like six years. And uh, I don't think there's much marketing or advertising going on for it. No, no, absolutely not. The legal issues are definitely something that they have to to solve before they do the IPO. And there's a lot of signs that they're actually working on that. I mean, they've cooperated with the governments in uh, in Amsterdam and in London to basically Airbnb is is now, you know, they're not permitting hosts to rent out for more than 60 days in Amsterdam and then 90 days in London. Uh, my Airbnb listing in Amsterdam is actually, I'm at 60 days now. So my calendar is completely blocked. Like I can't do anything mm. and I've actually sold my house. So, uh, you know, that's oh, wow. uh, the end of end of the game for me in Amsterdam. But that's, mm-hmm. that's cool. I'm looking at some other properties uh, in other places. But anyway, uh, you know, in, there's an article that came out that they had closed 923 listings in San Francisco. And these were all mm-hmm. listings that were owned by people who had more than one listing. Right, because they have this this policy in place that's called one host, one home, and so mm-hmm. every, every host is only supposed to have one listing. Right. Yeah, they're also looking at a flight booking tool, so that could diversify them as well. 
Right. That's a, there's another article in uh, in which Chesky talks about that he thinks the next revolution will be in air travel, and he doesn't mention that you know Airbnb is going to be the company responsible for this revolution. But one of the things that he says is, you know, he says the airline industry hasn't changed in decades, which is very true, uh, other than the fact that you're not allowed to smoke anymore and that the food used to be much better. But he says, I went on a plane in the 80s. I go on it today. It's very similar. I think that's a good point. Although I don't know... Like in the eighties, he—I don't know how old he was back then, but he must have been pretty young. <laughs> yeah, there are some private jets too that are offering service. I know that my husband flies up to the Bay Area quite often, and he's been using Jet Suite, which is, he said, painless compared to commercial travel. So I think it's there's already changes that are happening, and. I think it's ripe for disruption for sure. I'm sure, you know, so many people do. It's just air travel has changed quite a bit since 9-11 and it, it needs some disruption. It's funny that you mentioned that because I've recently signed up for a company called JetSmarter, mm. which I'm, I'm sure does a similar thing. But basically the way it works is I pay a yearly fee and I can go on as many private jets as I want. And That's I, fantastic. I, yeah, I mean, it was a great experience. I went. I flew from London to Paris, and uh-huh. that was my first one, and it was such a great experience. I lit- I showed up like twenty minutes before the flight, and you know, you get welcomed in a special little terminal. Somebody will just takes your bag. You get some food. You get some coffee, and then you just wait for ten minutes, and then you just walk into the plane. There's no. There's literally no hassle. Yeah, and, and then also great. when you when I landed in Paris, there was a police officer right there on the tarmac who looked at my passport, and that's it. I was ready to wow. go. It was absolutely and you felt fantastic. Safe? What, yeah, you felt I, I loved it. Security was good. Well, I mean, there basically was no security. <laughs> but <laughs> well, that's the one thing. I mean, it, you take the security out; it's hassle free. But are we, you know, how safe? I guess do you feel? Well, I don't know. I felt pretty safe. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> but it was it was so much fun because it's a small plane. It was only four people, and you know, when you you're talking to the pilot the whole time, and you can look in the cockpit. And the landing was really cool as well because you could really like just look through the front windows and see exactly what the pilots are seeing. It was, ah, I thought it was a great, it's a very cool experience and so much, oh my God, I loved it. It was so hassle-free. It really was amazing. And met some pretty interesting people on the plane too. So, because it's much more intimate. You know, there's only four people on the plane. So, you know, I ended up talking to all of them pretty much. Anyway, that's an interesting uh, topic, but... uh, I guess it does have a little bit to do with Airbnb since it's also in the sharing economy space. But who knows? Yeah, maybe Airbnb is going to go into the private jets. Yeah, that would be a smart place to invest or partner with, I think. Yeah, definitely. And But if they're doing a booking tool, I don't know. That would be interesting to see how that works. How did you book your, your private jet? I mean, this... The JetSmarter app is, is really cool. You can do everything through the app. So I, it has a functionality where you take a picture of your uh, ID and then yeah. you just, in the messenger, you, you're literally talking to a, a flight rep- representative. And so you just go on your phone and, and you see like, oh, you, you upload the picture of your ID. Uh, okay. And then uh, you get like the affinity, you get on your on your smartphone. Everything, everything takes place in the JetSmarter app. 
So, awesome. So, so it was it's, easy. It's ex- extremely, uh, extremely convenient. And then, you know, when I was at the airport, I actually got a call from uh, one of the flight representatives who uh, who called me and he's like, uh, hey, are you at the airport yet? We're here for you. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, I was literally like a minute away. So it's very, yeah, it's very personal. It's extremely convenient. Awesome. Awesome. Hosts, does it feel like you're spending way too much time responding to questions from your Airbnb guests? Is the fear of a possible bad review keeping you up at night? I recently learned about a really helpful service called Aviva IQ. With Aviva IQ, my workload and worries have reduced dramatically. All I had to do was link my Airbnb listings to Aviva IQ, create my messages and schedule delivery times. That's it. I can't believe how easy it was to set up. Now I can sit back and relax knowing that my guests receive all the important details on time, every time. Everybody sleeps better. Check them out at www.avivaiq.com. Yes. So let's see what else should we talk about. So those, yeah, so those 920 free listings being wiped out in San Francisco. Now you guys are based in San Francisco, right? Yes, we are. Yes, and actually, one of our founders is a host there. Yeah, I've stayed so. with him. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know then. <laughs> I know all about uh, David's little uh, house. It was very, yeah. it was a very pleasant stay. But awesome. it's uh, there's some inter- some more interesting numbers in the article. It says 317 were entire homes, 26 were private rooms, and 580 were shared rooms. That's something that really surprised me because I don't really know a lot of people who rent out a shared room. So, I mean, because that means you're renting out like a couch in your living room or like an air bed. Yeah, I would guess that's more like a couch surfing, but they're charging for it perhaps. Right. So, I, I don't know. Like, I just don't know anyone who, who does the shared room letting thing. So I was and just surprised to see. why would they close those down? I'm not. I don't know. That's, that sounds very like curious. very strange to me. I would expect that most of them would be entire homes because that's kind of like where the, you know, where the resistance came from. Right. Right. Absolutely. But it's, and there uh, are, there are companies that are representing those types in San Francisco. You know, I guess the, the fines and stuff go to the owner, not the uh, management company. So, they're going to, you know, continue to try and rent and make some money until I guess they get caught. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just a matter of how much, how many resources, what kind of resources San Francisco has to go after that. Is it, is it worth it for them? Right. And the article also mentions that there's 10,000 listings in San Francisco and in San Francisco, Airbnb hosts are required to register with the city. But only mm-hmm. 1,877 are registered, according to the Office of Short-Term Rentals. So that's that's less than 20%. So I guess there's a lot of hosts who still need to uh, need to register before the city of San Francisco will be happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess, well, you have to pay annually to, I would assume you have to pay annually to register. I don't know what that price is or to be a registered host. Wouldn't you think? I, I don't know how much it costs. All I know is that uh, when I was in San Francisco last year, when I was staying with David, I interviewed uh, a host, Bruce Bennett, and he's very active in the, the Airbnb uh, community in San Francisco. And he showed me uh, sort of a, a step-by-step 
process of registering and it was quite complicated i have to say mm-hmm. it's wow. like they make you mm-hmm. jump through quite a lot of hoops so I think that's probably the reason why a lot of people don't register because it's it seemed like a kind of a hassle yeah yeah and i read in uh san diego they're no longer allowing short-term vacation rentals yeah that's that's new to me uh yeah. that must have come out like today or when when was it oh no actually march 16th so a few days ago so they've completely outlawed it, didn't they? Yeah, it sounds like they're not permitted under the code as it's currently written. So I'm not sure if it's been going on illegally or it sounds like they didn't just rewrite it. But we have a couple of clients down in San Diego so that we are actually speaking with tomorrow. So I'll be getting some more inside scoop from on the ground down there, seeing how this could affect that industry there. Interesting. Okay. So maybe we can talk more about that next week, but it's not mm-hmm. just Airbnb. It's all vacation rentals, all short-term rentals, basically that they've right. banned now. Right. Right. Let's move on to something more, a little bit more light and a little bit yeah. more <laughs> humorous and funny because there's, yeah. a, there's a really good article came out, the Straight Times, which is a Singaporean newspaper or website. And you know, Joe Gabbia went to Singapore to launch Airbnb trips there. And he did a really long interview with one of the reporters for this this newspaper. And I think it's interesting to share some of the stuff in this article because a lot of people know about Brian's background because he's kind of like the main, you know, the main guy at, at Airbnb. But of course, you know, the other two founders, they're also really interesting to look at their stories, you know, and... And there's a lot of uh, interesting things in this interview. First of all, Joe Gabbia, he grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and he went to, when he was in uh, middle school, I think, in third grade. Is that middle school? Third grade? Uh, No, it's uh, elementary school here. Yeah, elementary. Elementary school. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, even younger. (laughs) (laughs) He was probably like eight eight or nine. Yeah, he was an entrepreneur back way back then. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, his entrepreneurial skills uh, really surfaced early because in third grade, he was drawing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And for yeah. those for those of you who are a little older like myself, those, uh, it was a very popular uh, cartoon series back in the day. And it still is, actually. It still I have is? Kids that, oh. Yeah, it's huge now. We we have we go to Ninja Turtle parties. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And they've had a few movies out. Okay, I'm not so up to date anymore on the latest <laughs> news on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But but anyway, uh, he was drawing these things and, and selling them to classmates for $2 a pop. And the business did so well that the parents complained to teachers that their kids were asking for extra lunch money and they didn't know why. <laughs> and it wasn't for nutrition. <laughs> it was not for nutrition. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, he was making money at a business plan way back then. Great, a great story. But that wasn't his last enterprise. He did some other things as well. But first, he went to the the Rhode Island School of Design, which is where he met Brancheski. And the day he graduated, he launched a business called Critbuns. It was a company that produced portable butt pads, <laughs> and, uh, and apparently they were very uh, comfortable to sit on. And the name was inspired by the long hours design students sit around critiquing one another's works in front of teachers and peers. 
these seats can be quite uncomfortable. So he decided to design a seat that was would be more comfortable to sit on. Yeah, that's he could have. I, I don't know if he sold them at stadiums, but that's where I imagine um, he would have made some good money off of the butt pads. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> he said it was ramen profitable. Uh, which basically means just enough to make rent and ramen. Oh my goodness. <laughs> He's come pretty... a long way, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he so it, it was reasonably successful because he did manage to sell it in the gift shop at the New York's Museum of Modern Art. So that's, I mean, that's a you know fair accomplishment. But the number one thing that he learned from this experience was something that one of his professors taught him. Uh, which was a formula on how to deal with uh, rejections because, you know, he, he tried to get some investors and, you know, we all know that when you're trying to get investors, like 99% of the time, they walk away within one minute. So mm -hmm. that happened to him as well. And then his professor taught him the formula SW square plus WC is MO, which stands for when you have a new idea, some will love it, but some won't. Plus, who cares equals move on. <laughs> That's great. That's a great formula. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I have to remember uh, that one. It's pretty funny, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think he could have, that could have been his first big hit company, though, if he had had a different audience than shoppers at the at New York's MoMA. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody there is walking around. They're really not sitting. So you got to go someplace where the buns are going to get sore. Yeah, that was probably a good lesson for him where he thought, okay, yeah. you know, he probably thought about his creation as art. And that's probably why, you know, he wanted to set it there. But yeah. I think the football stadium would be a better place. <laughs> yeah, Yankee Stadium. <laughs> anyway, he went on to start another company which he also said was mildly successful. It was called Ecolect, a website for designers looking for eco-friendly raw materials for their products. But then, of course, he moved to San Francisco and started living together with his best friend, Brian. And when they ran out of money, they couldn't afford their rent because their landlords had just raised their rent by 20%. And that's how Joe, actually, I guess it was Joe Gabbia who came up with the idea to rent out uh, an air bed in, in their room. So he went right. out to buy two $20 air beds and he quickly built a website called Air Bed and Breakfast. And that's how it all started. Yeah. It's amazing. And that was about pretty much 10 years ago. It was in 2007. So it's already been, Airbnb has been around for a decade now. Oh, that's crazy. It is that crazy. is crazy. It's been 10 years. Wow. Yeah. I feel like those, well, I've been hosting since 2012, but those years have flown by like crazy. Mm hmm. Yeah. Us too. 2012 is when we, I think that's when they really started to grow. I don't know what round of funding that was for them. Mm hmm. No, it went really fast after that. I, I remember when I started, they had like 500,000 hosts, and now mm -hmm. it's like 3 million. So. It's definitely yeah. been some spectacular growth. Well, he talks about it. You know, he says this is a one in a million shot um, to turn it into a global business. But, you know, they did it. I, it's really amazing. And they really are disrupted the travel industry. And and global is really their, their message with the experiences and the trips and just thinking on a, glo a global level. 
it's amazing what they've done. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we're getting to the end of this episode. And by the way, I, I want to mention, um, I post these news articles in this Facebook group called Airbnb News. So if you want to like sort of keep updated with uh, what's going on, of course, you can listen to this episode, podcast episode, but I also post them there. And also I have a Facebook group called Airbnb Academy, which is very active. It has uh, about 500 members now where we discuss all sorts of things related to Airbnb, questions about hosting, experiences, etc. So, you know, feel free to join. It's a free open group, so you can just join. So I hope to see you there. And uh, Nicole, thank you so much for joining today. And it was a pleasure to co-host this episode with you. Thank you, Jasper. It was a pleasure being with you. And uh, thank you for the invitation. And of course, in four weeks, we'll be talking again. Yes. So I wish you all the best at Hostfully. I know you guys are very busy. I'm very appreciative of your time. And Thank you uh, for your support. Yeah, no worries. No worries. And uh, like I said, I'm still getting positive comments from my guests about the guidebook I sent them. So I'm all, all support for you guys. Great. Thank you. We appreciate it. <laughs> and for the listeners, thanks for listening. And of course, every Monday there's an episode and every Thursday there's an episode. So stay tuned and I'll see you next week. Get paid for your pet, get paid for your pet.